0: Welcome to Look What She Built, where we show you examples of what an iconic woman leader looks like. I'm your host, Jamie Rowe, and I'm so excited to have you here. I created Look What She Built because I want to celebrate the bold, the brave, and badass women who are doing business in their own way. In this podcast, we're going to interview and celebrate these women business owners as well as bring on experts that can help us dive deep on topics like sales, self-care, money mindset, and more. So let's dive in and show the world what an iconic woman looks like. Hello, everyone. This is Look What She Built Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Rowe, and I have Keel Bergen with me today. Keel, how are you today? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. So I want to read your intro first so people know who they're listening to because your background is incredible. Um, and so everyone introducing you to Keel Bergen, she's an entrepreneur, an activist, an international bestselling author and filmmaker. Her story of survival and self-discovery has inspired a life dedicated to making a profound impact on people across the globe through business, education, and storytelling. She believes when a person finds their voice and shares their story, they can change the world around them. From the extreme isolation of her childhood, growing up in a Catholic cult, Kiel has built a life of global human connection across disciplines. Her business acumen includes co-founding an international strategic marketing company traded on the public market to being instrumental in selling her analytics company to a Fortune 100 business. While making her mark in business, she maintained a determination to turn her trauma into medicine. This led her to serve in leadership roles on the boards of multiple international nonprofit organizations, including Friendship Bridge and Maya Impact, that empower women through microfinance vocal empowerment, and social collateral. Committed to understanding the workings of strong women, Keel set out on a journey producing a movie with Dr. Jane Goodall, dubbed by Jane has the real story keeper. Kiel spent two years traveling with Jane, sitting with the chimpanzees in, Keel, you're going to have to help me with the name of this G-O-M-B-E. Gombe. Gombe, thank you. And conducting extensive interviews with Jane, her son, grandchildren, and those close to her, for an unprecedented look into Jane's life, Keel's work has been acquired by the Walt Disney Company and will be the first narrative feature about Jane uh, Dr. Goodall. Keel's best-selling memoir, which we're going to talk about today, "Holy Unraveled," delivers a gripping portrait of a resilient young woman who turned her deep shame into all-inspiring dignity and grace. She is currently in development with Anonymous Content to bring "Holy Unraveled" to the screen. Kiel's passion to bring women together led her to found B-Tribes, to bring like-minded women together, to ignite their inner compass and make profound transformations in their lives through curated tribes, curriculum and coaching. B-Tribes is meant for women who want to be the heroine of their own journey. Kiel's also gifted speaker with the message of hope, resilience and the power of storytelling that has been shared on national stages and magazines and PR tours, podcasts, University lectures, circuits, and webinars. Wow, well, I bet this could go on and on. I mean, wow, wow. You're that's kind a of long bio. That. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to shorten that bio. No, I don't want to. <laughs> sh- I thought about. I read it and I was like, oh, this should be shorter. And then as I was reading, it, I was like, there's nothing redundant in here. There's mm. nothing that's not important. There's nothing that people don't need to hear because mm. different parts of that are going to resonate with different people. I mean, especially, I have really
1: loved like, my
0: you... career. oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I said,
1: I've really loved my career. I don't tend to do things over and over. And so there is a lot more breadth to what I, what I have done, which I'm really, I am proud of that. And I love hearing women's stories. And that's part of my story.
0: I love that. And also too, is I feel like you've lived maybe 10 lifetimes.
1: <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way, right? For all of us, probably.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, and we're going to talk about your book. Um, I was a voracious reader for years and years, and then I went through a pretty yuck divorce. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone who goes through the divorce like I'm really glad I that was well. They're glad they did it, but it's not always an easy thing, and it was very emotional. I really struggled reading books because uh, it's just the focus of it, mm-hmm. and that was two years ago. And this book, I read your book in two days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't, you were the first book I read after, my, I couldn't put it down. There were parts I had to put down um, because it was, there's so much emotion there. I felt so much love for you. I felt so much rage for some people in the story. I felt like this deep connection where it's so, the, the, the shame that is brought up and then the resilience of some of the things, like I've got quotes where I have scr- if anyone's on YouTube, can see this. I have all these, and there's more tabs of questions that I have. So I do want to talk about the book, but I have to talk about um, Dr. Jane Goodall for just a moment. How the heck? How does that even happen? Like I remember watching her on National Geographic. Like she is like an an idol, you know, an icon. How'd you meet her? She is
1: absolutely amazing. We call it the Jane fairy dust everywhere she goes. She sprinkles a little fairy dust and everyone's just happy. Um, I was blessed to meet her because um, my husband at the time, we had a, a great property here in Boulder, Colorado, and we wanted to do good with it. And I wanted, I've i always wanted to meet strong women to dig into how they can be so resilient, how they can be strong, <clears throat> who, who they attribute it to. And so we literally called at the Jane Goodall Institute and, and booked her for our home. Um, we're not, we weren't gala people. You know, I do love my shoes and I love to dress up and stuff, but we didn't want to do a big gala. So we invited her to our house. They vetted us for probably 18 months or so when we went back and forth and back and forth. And then we decided that we just wanted to have a very small intimate dinner. Um, and so we had her for 12 hours. So what we did with our 12 hours was we had a beautiful dinner when we raised a lot of money for JGI, but the rest of that time, we just let her rest. We just literally walked her around Boulder. We took her to our kids' school. We took her to a couple of, of office buildings and let her walk around. We had lunch downtown. You know, it was just very quiet, very subdued, and then the dinner was really intimate, and because we got all that time together, and she stayed in my writing studio, and so She, she, you know, we were contracted for twelve hours, but she stayed for like five days. I mean, it was just incredible. And she was one of my first readers for Holy Unraveled, and um, I think she's on the back of the book. Um, And she really encouraged me to to tell my story. And she said, uh, "You're my story keeper." So from there, we went around the world. You know, we traveled a lot, and just sitting with the chimps with her in Africa, it it was just. It was one of my top 10 life moments to be able to travel with her and see her with the chimps. And um, I consider her a dear friend.
0: Oh, that's such a beautiful story. It's so funny. It's like, yeah, you can call Jane Goodall and you know they'll vet you, and then you can just have her at your house. (laughs) Like, I'm I can't imagine what the 18 months were, but just to spend time, just being in the space with someone. Um I don't even know what words to put with this, but just a strong. Um, confident woman mm. that knows why she's here. She knows right.
1: why she's here and she knows what she wants her legacy to be. And she's the first one to say, I am here. And I did what I did because of my mom. Her mom, Van, was extraordinary. And I had the great good fortune of reading Van's biography, which she never published, but just I have it on my desk. And it just, it's so beautiful to see where Jane comes from. That strength you know, I didn't have a mom who had that strength to nurture me. And I've gone through all the forgiveness pieces of that. But Jane had that. And she honors her mom for giving that to her. I mean, she went to, to the jungle with her. Her mom went with her when they said, you have to have a chaperone. Her mom's like, here we go. We're go, going to Africa.
0: <laughs> sure. Why not? So, yeah, why not? So she's amazing. She is amazing. But um, and so are you. So my question. And So for- are you. Oh, thank you. We all are right? because we exist, right? We don't need to yes. choose our worthiness because we exist. Um, what, and I wanted to say too, congratulations on your divorce because I've been there
1: too. And I had to crawl out from hands and knees some days, but we, we made it and we're yes. resilient and we did it and it, it just gets better and better.
0: Yes. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, Yes. There are days where you're randomly vacuuming and you start crying and you're like, what is happening? And sometimes you are on your hands and knees crawling up the stairs and being like, when does this staircase end? Yes. All for what we need to do. Speaking of her knowing her legacy, do you know what you want your legacy to be?
1: Helping women tell their story. Yeah. I would love that to be my legacy. I, I am such a believer, Jamie, that when we do say those stories out loud, those really scary ones that we don't want to say out loud, we transcend that into something beautiful. We can transcend our story into helping others. And that's really what I want women to hear is that their story matters and they should say it out loud.
0: Yes. Speaking of story, can we dig into the book a little bit? Yes, please. I've got my tabs and I've got some questions. The opening of the book, The Red Jeans. Mm. So this was uh, eye opening to me. It's like, oh, yeah, she's she's very rebellious because you have money from your mom. Can you, show, you have money from your mom to go buy jeans or go buy something and you buy red jeans. And then could you walk us through? Because I have sure. some questions about it. I, yeah,
1: I, I had the great good fortune of of growing up in a beautiful little town. So everyone knew it. Everyone. um. I've since been able to be back there because I'm, I'm actually back with my high school boyfriend, which is funny um, and, and amazing. And so he's still in that town. He's in the book actually, and which is even funnier um, and because we weren't dating at the time. But um, so I grew up at a place where you could walk into any of these stores and say, just charge it to the you know X account. So my mom sent me there to get um, some clothes. I was supposed to get one pair of jeans and I was allowed to wear... Levi, I think Levi's. Right. And, and, but there was no way I was allowed to wear red Levi's. No way. And I decided that I really wanted to, and that they were just so cool. I mean, come on. You, uh, like, this is I, the eighties too. Like yeah. color, uh, but color that did red. not go over well with um, my mom. Uh, my mom saw me and saw the red jeans and uh, I had to wait outside my dad's door, which is just the scariest place on the planet for me, outside of his bedroom door, waiting for him to get home from work, and um, he was very upset that I would ever do that, and um, he just, he, he was a narcissist, like a classic narcissist, anyone who went outside the lines had to be brought in back inside those lines in a harsh way, and so that's how he treated me after, uh, whether it was a small infraction or a large infraction you never quite knew. And I think that's, that's a lot of people I've heard from a lot of people that that's how they felt as well in their childhood is that they never really understood the rules. Right. I mean, I knew I couldn't wear red jeans. That wasn't one of them, but I would get in big, big trouble for having a party I didn't have, or if my dad was in a bad mood or so I, uh, the gift of that in my life is that I am highly intuitive And I am able to read people really well because I had to, to keep myself safe, to understand. I had to understand what my dad's mood was so that I could maneuver around it to keep my, to my, keep my body and soul safe. Really?
0: Yeah. The hypervigilance, it was your survival mechanism for sure. Cause you just didn't know there's no, it was unpredictable. Um, okay. So this is my question part when he, you know, he's upset and he says, go get a stick. And then he says, when you come back and get the stick, and I love how you're like, I was pretending the stick would be used in the treehouse house. That I desperately wanted him to build for me. Almost like you didn't, did you know you were gonna be, that he was gonna use the stick on you? Or was there like, maybe this is, it's like denial, like something else could happen here. Again, it was an unpredictable
1: place, so. Um... I think I knew deep down what he was going to do with that stick, but there was such a uh, a fear that I went into a survival mode of the treehouse, or maybe this will be the one time that he won't do that, and 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 he'll teach me a magic trick, or you know, there was just all of these to try to keep my mind calm and my and safe, and you know, it's interesting how you remember things because I I don't even remember seeing anyone, right? It was like I had to go find this stick and what if I picked the wrong one? What if it was too big or too small? Or it, and so it was just um like, I, I, I don't have those feelings of fear in me anymore. I've done a lot of therapy work to remove those trauma, um those trauma effects that I had, but I do still hold that little girl and say, you know, let's build a treehouse. This, this will be, this will be your year for the tree house,
0: you know? Yeah. And not, all the other awful things that have happened and bravo to you for doing that work. It's not easy. Thank you. No, it was
1: very difficult work, but it was so life-giving. It's absolutely life-giving.
0: Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Okay. Then my other question is when he says, when you get back with the stick to his room and he says, stick out your tongue. And I'm like, why would he have you stick out the tongue? But again, was it just, you just didn't know. Then he never Mm -hmm. ends up hitting your tongue. He hits your arm instead. Mm -hmm. Just another you just don't know what's going to happen is it one of those other un- unpredictable like you just did random stuff yes unpredictable um and very theatrical
1: I would say he was very d- drama filled and you know it I, I think what happens too with some some childhood, trauma is that it gets put into family folklore and well it did for me I should say and you know for years my my dad would would say remember Remember when I was going to hit you with the stick on your tongue? You'd be careful, you know, and, and I, it was just a way to shock me back into whatever it was he wanted me to, to be or do at the time. And so it mm-hmm. became this funny thing he did. And it wasn't funny at all. It was, it was mm-hmm. terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying.
0: That's interesting. You said he's very Germanic because I underlined several parts in the book where he says like, get up, don't be so Germanic. Mm-hmm. Like he, the
1: time he always he always said I was being dramatic and I know now because of, because of the work of I wasn't being a dramatic. I was trying to be almost invisible.
0: <laughs> you were trying to survive. Yeah. For example, another time he said stop being stop with the drama now. Follow me.
1: This In like power on
0: the boat. Yes. Where- that was the
1: most terrifying part of my life, I have to say.
0: I don't know day. how, like I underlined what he said to you and then you just, where is it? Where he said, hey, I'm gonna take you off the boat after what happened. Shoot, i don't know yeah, I'm gonna kill you. i We are going for a walk and I'm going to kill you. Don't say a word, not one, do you understand? And you nodded your head. What was happening in your head at that point? Like, you're gonna go shoot me, he got his gun and you're walking in Utah somewhere, right?
1: Yeah, we were in the middle of nowhere, Lake Powell. Um, and it was, um, there's not really a, (laughs) how would I describe it? I I believed him. That's what I would say. I believed that he was taking me out to kill me. I hadn't done anything wrong. He was mad at himself because the night before he had forgotten to put an anchor down at Lake Powell, but somehow that was, um, being put as my fault. And I really did believe and when I will never forget him putting that holster around his Around his waist and putting the gun in it, and saying, "I'm gonna go. I'm gonna kill you." And he, he had already hit me, and I had already been bleeding. He had hit me so hard I fell off the boat, and just I thought this is it. Yeah. I remember saying, you know, saying goodbye. I remember thinking, okay, I'm not gonna be able to see my my family, my friends, my grandma. I remember thinking about my grandma and and Shirley, our nanny, um, and that was real. And interestingly, um, I brought that up to my dad. I only. I only needed to say one thing to my dad and, and I don't even understand why this was it, but I took him before the book came out, I took him to lunch. I don't, I, I didn't have any contact with him before that for years. And I don't have contact now, not much. He, he has reached out a few times, but, um, and I took him to lunch and I said, I know what you did to me. And that was all I needed to say. And His reaction, I wanted a better reaction. Of course, every little girl wants that. But what I got was, what are you talking about? Give me, and I said, "You. I know what you did to me. Like what? And I said, well, you threatened to kill me when I was 12 years old in Lake Powell. And he said, come on, you knew I was kidding. And I said, no girl at 12 years old, walking for hours and hours and hours in a desert. And you shot the gun over my head. So I believed you were going to kill me. And it was as if it, poof, not, not that it didn't happen to me, but there was a healing that was so like a sob pouring over me that I just, I got to say to him, you don't get away with it. Yeah. I see
0: you. Mm -hmm. You don't get away with this. Wow. Um, there's another story I want to count here, but I want to slow down for just a moment. So you wrote this. 2019 is when it was published. Correct. This happened in the 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. 70s, too. 70s, 70s. Excuse <clears throat> me. 70s nine, um, is um, what was the catalyst for writing this? Oh my
1: gosh! Yeah. Great question. I I wrote this so that other women would tell their story. I think, I think as women, we can be afraid of our pain. I think as a human, we can be afraid of our pain, but when we walk right through that pain, the other side of that is such joy. There's, I have so much joy in my life because I walked through all the hard things. I feel like I walked through fire and I've had a lot of people say to me, well, that didn't happen to me, but this did, you know, and, and we tend to want to put our traumas on rungs of a ladder, like who's had more trauma or, but we can't do that because our pain is our pain and whatever level of pain that you have felt, it could, that, that might be the same level of pain I felt and the traumas can't be, we just have to gather them all up, talk about them and burn them, and get rid of them and walk to that other side of that, like that joy.
0: Right. Yes. I love that. Are you a pyro too? When you journal, do you tear it up and then burn it? Oh, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big burn. I am in B. We do a lot of that
1: of ritual burning mm-hmm. for me. Words. I like to keep them. I, I keep my words. <laughs> my, I have a very long journal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, when I have like an erupt, I get triggered. I like to write down what is happening. Yes just so, cause I need clarity on what to make sense of what's going on because Mm -hmm. there's, it gets really loud up here, right? And to get it on paper. And sometimes it's not very nice to myself or others. So that's why I do it. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I don't want to keep those words. (laughs) Well, and you know, I would also um, encourage
1: you to say, what is the other side of that story? Mm -hmm. So how do you turn that story into a beautiful flower? Like, how do you take it from the muck of the gross, yucky, Stuff and grow it into what could be the medicine that you give to the world for that. I mean, obviously, you have a lot to give to the world given your work. And so, every little story like that can be turned into a beautiful thing that you can offer to the world. Yeah, that's beautiful.
0: And that's a beautiful nugget of advice, too, because I think this is all, this is not happening to us, it's happening for us. And there's some moments where you're just like, ah, is it? how is this so funny? My daughter yesterday, her car wouldn't start. And so we had to go pick her up and at high school and she was sitting in the car and we were going back there to jump her car and things like that. And she goes, mom, I'm trying to find out what the lesson is here. I know this is not happening to me. It's happening for me. So I just, maybe I need to slow down or like, it was just Mm. so I'm like, yes, yes thinking yes. in right? Well, it's, it's kicking in because she sees you do it. Yes, right? we are the example, right? That's beautiful. Yes, that was a very exciting moment. Okay, I've got a question because this is this is my biggest question of the book. Um, and there's a moment where for some reason, your dad takes you all down to a basement with candles. The okay? pustin. Mm-hmm. Pardon?
1: It, it was, it was a room in our basement called the Pustinia. It's What's a Russian, it's a Russian word that means desert. What? And
0: that,
1: yeah, go ahead. Tell me more. Well, It came from um, Catherine de Doherty. She wrote a book called Pustinia and my dad read it. And that's how I was introduced to Madonna house where I went for that year because my dad had read her book and a priest had come, the archbishop of Galilee had come and stayed at our house for a summer from there. Um, and so it was a place that my dad would have his prayer time, I guess, but he would also lock me in there and I wasn't allowed out. It was, it was awful. Um, but I, I also want to say that all the things that we're talking about are, are trauma related and pain. And, but I, I have to say that it's very, it's a very hopeful book. I hope that you found that as well, because the, it's about healing and it's about becoming the woman that you're meant to be. And that you were always meant to be. And the stories can be horrible, right? But w- once once you realize that that's just, that is my story. And I i can't tell you I'm grateful that my dad gave me all of that. But there is a little bit of that. I, I, am, I know who I am and I love who I am and I know that I can walk through anything. And I also have been divorced and didn't think I could get through that either and, but we get through it. And that's, that's the hopeful story. That's what I want people to leave with.
0: Yes. There is a tremendous amount of hope in this. And that's one of the reasons why I love this book so much because of your resilience, because, Hey, if she can get through this, we can all get through this. There's no comparing, like you said, anything like that. There's just opportunities. I mean, think about this as you're saying that, what if you didn't have these experiences? Right, and I remember.
1: Like yeah. Oh, yeah, on my, my NPR day. tour, I had someone ask me that. And he said, "He he said, don't you wish that all of this didn't happen to you?" And I know that he wanted the the good the good pretty you know um, packaged up answer, which is, "Oh, I wish you know, and I wish I grew up different." But I really paused and thought, "I don't want to answer it like that." And i I thought and said, "No, I'm actually." really okay that it happened to me. I can really tell you that I'm okay. I have forgiven all of those people that harmed me. I hope the people I harmed have forgiven me. And I am neutral with my dad. I was neutral with my mom before she passed. So I'm really grateful I can say all of that. And I don't know who I'd be without my story. I, cert- I, I don't think I would have done the work I did in the third world countries for women. I don't think I would have B as my unbelievable next ride you know I'm only I'm five years into um, our bee retreats and I love them so much and watching women transform right in front of my eyes I would I don't think I would have done that work because I wouldn't understood pain and understanding pain is a gift that we then get to pass on to other people
0: well, I think, and I want to talk about the Bee Tribe, the retreats, the Bee Tribe, the work that you're doing, and um, and I also know you're writing another book, which is very very exciting. I can't wait for it to come out. I'm gonna to have to dedicate two days. I'm gonna get it. Just <laughs> write. Um, but the I think because you have gone through so much pain, um, is that you can meet them where they are, almost like you can see where they are, and that you can look down into the the dark well where they feel they, that darkness, that the goo of the pain and the stuckness, almost like I think of those dinosaurs that get stuck in tar pits, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And they can't, they feel like there's no way out.
1: Uh, the women I have been so blessed to work with have said, it, I think it's also that there's, when because of what I've been through, I have no judgment mm-hmm. of where they are or, and I can see where they can go. And so these are women, you know, I I work with CEOs and CMOs and um, waitresses and nurses and stay home moms and, you know, all the whole gamut and the common denominator is the story. The common denominator is we are all women and we are all on this heroine's journey and let's do it together. And so there's no judgment of where you've been, where you are or where you're going. I just get the incredible privilege to help and to guide and to say, what if you tried that? And we do something in B-Tribe called core reflection. And it is a look at your whole life and all the good, bad, and the ugly, and how we're going to manifest that into medicine for the world. And it's like, I call it my Sunday glow because on on Sunday, when the retreat is over and the women are packing up, it's, it's almost impossible again to leave the house because nobody wants to leave because we've created such a family but I just look around, I kind of hide and I watch and I feel this glow inside of, wow, those women just trans completely transform their life in four days. And a lot, a lot, there's a lot of work before and there's work after, but it's those four days of gathering together with women that you've never met before. And it's clear, we're not going to talk about what you do. So there's a CFO of a Publicly traded company sitting next to the waitress, and the waitress is helping her so much because we are women who want to nurture and we put labels on ourselves. And when you take all those labels off and you're sitting in a sacred space with other growth minded women, the magic is unbelievable. Mm. It's really a profound impact. And then those women go out into the world and have their profound impact.
0: Mm. And what you said about Jane earlier about the sprinkle sprinkling the gold fairy, fairy dust. dust. Yes. I <laughs> feel dust. like you do that too with each person you're dropping in, mm. almost like lighting them up internally, because I can see that. And then you're sprinkling magical fairy dust for them to go be their authentic selves. Mm. I'm not They're doing the
1: work. They yeah. I watch them do the work and I watch them take care of each other. But you know, a lot of women don't take that call to adventure. Yeah. A lot of women say, I can't either spend that time with myself. I can't spend that money on myself. I can't, um, my, I, I need, I need to take care of others, but it is amazing to watch when women take care of themselves and they take that call to adventure and they say, I'm going to do this work. Then the gift that they can give to others is extraordinary
0: Yeah, that we have to take care of ourselves. Yeah. To slow down, because sometimes when you come home from work or if you work from home, kids need to be fed. Yeah. Significant others, you know, they need stuff. The dog gets fed. And then finally, oh, you it's <laughs> something to eat. Here right? I am. Right. Yeah. I am. Oh, like I'm hungry, too. Right. Exactly. Right. And to slow down and to know that you're worth it to not only to spend the time, but the money on yourself. Absolutely. That's that's a, um, a mindset shift. hmm that I feel like a lot of women we're we're supposed to, or the old way of looking at it is we're last Mm -hmm. and everyone gets everything, a piece of the pie and there's crumbs and that's fine. And that's just, that doesn't work. Yeah, and we were taught,
1: don't put yourself first, but why not?
0: It is the oxygen mask,
1: right? Put your oxygen mask on and then you can help so many other people. And we just need that reminder to just say, just do that. Put yourself as your own
0: ally, right? Buy the damn red jeans. I don't know By why. And I know. Well, I saw your Instagram the other day. You were seeing all the is red your favorite. I know we were talking about magenta. You and I are like loving a magenta. a magenta. Day. Yes. But um, like, no, that's what was the surprise is that I'm not really, but I, but I do know that I've
1: always had a red pair of jeans. I will always have a red pair of jeans. I have a red jacket. I have red jeans. I, uh, you saw the Instagram post. I was like, who's was. Like, I came home from the dry cleaner, my red dress was there and I had something else red. I was like, wow, there's a lot of red, good girl. Nice job,
0: Keel. Let's do this. And also what was, what was the issue with the color red? Is it just, it was part of the cult that you can't wear red at all? Just so I understand that. Yeah, mostly we had to wear uh, very, my
1: mom had to wear you know, kind of more prairie skirts and, and solid color um, things and nothing that would be, my dad called it, the cult called it of the world. So red jeans would be of the world because they were stylish, right? So like my mom couldn't wear makeup and she wasn't supposed to highlight her hair even though she did, which I love. Um, And so I write in the book, like the last bit of her, the color dripped from her face when my dad said no more lipstick. So we had to be of God and not of the world. That was the thinking.
0: Such a bummer. Well, now you can, yeah, have the red jeans. Okay, can you give us any insight, anything about the second book or the film, anything? anything um, the film is of- under
1: contract still. So that, that one is is happening over here. Um, but the, the book is, I'm so thrilled that I get to, it took me a long, long time to call myself a writer. I was, that seemed like a title that someone else had to give me. And then I realized, you no, know, we give that to ourselves. Um, and so this second book is, I'm about a third of the way in. Um, And what what it's bubbling up to is, is really this word, and the word is behold. And what the word means is to see or observe a person, especially a remarkable or impressive one. That's the definition of behold. And so I'm writing this to women so that they will behold themselves. So they will see themselves as a remarkable and an impressive person. And that's that's what's coming out. That's what where I'm being led to write. So, it's um it's not a narrative, so it won't be the narrative nonfiction part. Um, but it's a compilation of stories on how women can see themselves as remarkable. Oh, I
0: love that. That's what we need.
1: Mm-hmm. More of that, right?
0: Yes. Last question before I've, we um let people know how they can reach out to you, but why do you feel that this story is so relevant for women right now? The story, the the legacy that you're leaving? I think we have been, I'm not one of
1: these people It's like, we've been pushed down and, you know, we need to break the glass and it's not that. It's that you need to honor who you really are. Who are you authentically? And what is the profound impact that you want to make on the world? Everyone is here to make a profound impact, whether that's baking chocolate chip cookies or running a public company or taking care of your babies or being the most amazing dog rescuer, whatever it is, I want you to find it. I want you as a woman to say, I know what my profound impact is on the world. And I believe that comes through story because as we tell our stories, our passions come out all the good, bad, and ugly comes out. And if we can allow all of that to exist at the same time, we will see it and we will take it to the world and we will make it a gift. Hmm. Beautiful. Keel, how can people find you? Uh, my website's probably the best spot, Keel Bergen. It's K-E-E-L-E. Bergen is B-U-R-G-I-N.com. Um, I'm also at Keel on Instagram or Facebook. So reach out. I love hearing from, from women, from people. So if anyone, and they can also read about B, um, our retreats at my website, uh, keelbergen.com.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Um, I will have to thank Emily Merrill. We're going to shout out to her from Six Degrees Society. Who I is love being? her. I love her so much. I need uh, to send her. Emily, something's coming your way. Oh, she is about the best connector I've ever met in my life. She and Allison
1: Salvatty. Salvati. Yes. Elsa, Elsa, Elsa,
0: Elsa, <laughs> So good. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for, um, being so inspirational for women.
1: Thank
0: Thank you for what you're doing too. You're making a big difference. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank you everyone for listening today. I appreciate you and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this conversation. I'm Jamie Rowe with Look What She Built, the one and only podcast that celebrates the brave, bold, and badass women who are doing business their way and telling us about it. Until next time. Go show the world what an iconic woman looks like please share this with three women because we all need to share positive messages in the world and if you want to learn more please connect with me on social at impact to income